If you don't embrace being the chief sales officer, you will fail. You just have to come to terms with the fact that in this business, you're constantly going to be raising capital and you'll never be able to effectively or efficiently outsource it to anybody else. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Brian C. Adams. Brian is joining us from Nashville, Tennessee. He was a previous guest on the Best Ever podcast. If you Google Joe Fairless and Brian Adams, the episode will pop up. Brian, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Doing well. Thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure to have you back. Today is Sunday, so Best Ever listeners, we are going to do a Skill Set Sunday, where we talk about a particular skill that our guest has. Brian has 11 years of experience and is a full-time commercial real estate investor. His portfolio consists of 2.7 million square feet across 14 markets and has a gross asset value of over $400 million. Brian, before we get into your particular skill set, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Absolutely. So like you mentioned, been in the business for a while I am a New Yorker who married a Nashville girl, so I moved to Middle Tennessee about 15 years ago. We talked about this on the previous podcast when I came on, but was fortunate enough to marry into an affluent family. My wife's family has a single family office that has invested in the commercial real estate space for the last 30 plus years. So got exposed to some of the managers and sponsors we were working with at the time, connected with my business partner. We started our firm 11 years ago now, and we're going to get into this a little bit. Initially raising blind pool co-mingled fund vehicles, six years ago pivoted towards just deal-by-deal syndication, and today we're focused on solving three things for our investors. Access to direct co-investment opportunities, double-digit cash-on-cash yield that we distribute monthly, and then making sure that we're taking full advantage of all the tax benefits that come from direct real estate ownership. What that looks like, typically industrial flex medical office in a secondary market in the Southeast and the Midwest. So to your point, we have about 2.7 million square feet under management. Portfolio is probably 400 some odd million dollars and we're in 14 markets today. Brian, you stated blind pooled commingled funds. What is that? So the best way to describe it, I think, is by defining what it isn't. So a fund versus a syndication. A fund is where you have raised the capital, but have not done any deals yet. A syndication is where you have the deal, but you haven't raised the capital yet. So a blind pool commingled fund is a bunch of Wall Street jargon. It basically means you go out to the marketplace, people commit to invest with you based on your investment thesis, parameters, market opportunity, et cetera. You take all those commitments, you pool them together, and then you go and find opportunities and invest those opportunities on behalf of your fund investors. 
Whereas a syndication, you find building ABC, you think it's really attractive. You then take that building, that one particular property to your investors and you say, hey, investors, you should invest in just this one particular asset. And then there's a standalone investment with no diversification with other opportunities, et cetera. Brian, I've got to ask you, a lot of people that I interview have gone from syndications then to funds. Why go the other route? Because it seems like if you have the fund, you have a lot more flexibility on where to deploy, when to deploy. So why would you go the other route? I think one of the biggest myths floating around in our commercial real estate sponsor world is that having a fund with institutional LPs will be the solution to all your capital problems. Nothing could be further from the truth in my experience. Listen, having discretionary capital is a beautiful thing. To be able to send out an email and then contractually, 10 days later, money shows up in your bank account, it's wonderful. The problem is, I think with my investor base, which are high net worth individuals, family offices, independent RIAs, and boutique broker dealers, a fund is a suboptimal investment vehicle for the type of real estate investing that we're doing. For some people, it can make a lot of sense. I think a blind pool fund is really hard to raise. It's a difficult product to pitch. You have to explain to people what the mechanics of a fund are, how capital calls work, how the 10-year cycle works. You've really got to get nitty-gritty in your PPM or your prospectus about what you plan to do with those funds. People just don't like it. Again, my investor base. Funds are really good products for institutional LPs who want to write a 25 to $50 million check and want to get broad diversification in whatever asset class that you're dealing with. They understand funds, they understand the mechanics, they understand the fees. It's really easy for them to write a big check across multiple properties because it takes a long time for them to get comfortable with a manager, et cetera. But the fees are very difficult, in my opinion, because these LPs are very savvy and sophisticated. And just the time it takes to raise a fund versus how fast you could raise a syndication. And honestly, the reason that we went in this direction is exactly your point. Everybody wants to get in the fund business. And I don't want to be where everybody else is. So we went double, triple, quadruple down on working purely deal by deal syndication with just our ideal investor base. We don't have any institutional LPs, nor do we want them. And I think that's also against the grain with a lot of folks in our world who think that working with a Blackstone or with a pension plan or with an endowment is going to unlock all the secrets of the universe. I think it's going to be much different once you get in the door, but that's just been my experience. Yeah, a great perspective. And you're right. What a contrarian approach. But I love the fact that you respect your investors' funds so much that you do the right thing for them, even though life could be easier for you and just have that discretionary pool of money. So I love, love that mindset. Brian, we wanted to talk about reverse engineering your pitch to accelerate your funding forward. What does that mean? You asked the perfect question to tee this up. So I've been doing this for 11 years. I think I did it really the wrong way for about half of that time. And I'm just now starting to understand the right way to do this. I put this presentation together. And by the way, if you ping me on LinkedIn or you go to the website, I put a PowerPoint and a video together. It's free. You can access it 
And I can send you the link, Ash, and you can include in the show notes if you want. Okay, let's just um, say it out loud so anyone that's near a computer or a pen can write it down as well. Yeah, if you just go to excelsiorcapital.com and go to the website and you go to resources, it's in there. And again, if you want to hit me up on LinkedIn, Brian C. Adams, Excelsior Capital, shoot me a note, I'll send you the link as well. I put this together because far and away, the biggest question I ask is how to raise capital. It seems to be this like secret sauce thing that nobody really wants to spend time on. Honestly, most sponsors that I know, I think it's the worst part about this business and clearly the greatest barrier to entry in this business because commercial real estate is such a capital intensive industry that I think it's just a misunderstood world. So I put this presentation together to give, especially first-time entrepreneurs and sponsors trying to raise on their first deal, a really granular playbook Instead of just kind of saying in broad thematics, this is what you should do. This is how marketing works. This is what sales is. This is actually pretty detailed in exactly what you need to do. So we can just get right into it if you want. Again, one of the biggest problems I see with entrepreneurs in general, but obviously with commercial real estate sponsors in particular, is they want to outsource and third party the fundraising component of their business. And honestly, when I hear a pitch as an investor from an entrepreneur starting a company, they say, well, what are the use of proceeds going to be? How are you going to put those funds to work? And they say, oh, I'm going to hire a chief marketing officer. I'm going to hire a chief sales officer. I'm going to bring in this third-party capital raising sales white label functionality. It's a total red flag in my mind because you as the entrepreneur and the member of the general partner, if you don't embrace being the chief sales officer, you will fail. You just have to come to terms with the fact that in this business, you're constantly going to be raising capital and you'll never be able to effectively or efficiently outsource it to anybody else. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. RealEstateAccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget-to-actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to RealEstateAccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one -on -one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. 
thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. I think a lot of people are looking at this roadmap on how to become a syndicator and how to get things done quickly and easily, the least path of resistance. And what you described is what I see so many people doing. But you're right. How can you effectively have a third party give your investors your vision? Let them know that the hands that their capital is going into are going to respect your funds the same as you would. So I love that approach. Yeah. And to exactly your question before about a fund syndication, when you take a step back and you think about your business, the biggest challenge is going to be how to effectively and efficiently scale it. And when you're a syndicator, that's going to be your cost of customer acquisition and conversion from a time and dollar standpoint. When I first got into the business, I didn't really understand what cost of capital meant. I didn't really think about it. But when you get into the fund business, for instance, and you deal with institutional LPs, limited partners, investors, their cost of capital is really high. Why? Well, they're very savvy. They know what fee structures are. So they're not going to pay you 2% asset management fee. They may not even pay you 1% asset management fee. They're going to want major decision-making rights. They're going to want to have control mechanisms on the deal. They're probably going to want to share of your carried interest as a co-GP. Those are all things that are expensive because you've got to negotiate them, paper them. And then obviously it's hurting your bottom line as a GP sponsor. So when I talk about cost of customer acquisition and cost of capital, those are some of the things that I'm getting at. So we went through my bio. I've pitched a lot. I've raised a lot of capital. And the problem I see is, especially with first-time sponsors, they spend all of this time and energy finding the perfect deal. They go to do the market analysis. They underwrite all the tenants. They go through the model. They do sensitivity analysis. They get the debt together. And they put together this usually way too long PowerPoint presentation that details everything. And it could be the best deal in the world. But I had a mentor tell me early on in my career that if you have something that's beautiful, but you can't raise capital around it, it's just art. And art is not a business in and of itself. So what I see a lot is a pitch where somebody has a great deal and they go to their friends and family, right? The logical people you would talk to. And it goes something like this. Hey, I'm Brian. I went to this great college undergraduate. Then I went to this prestigious business school. I worked at this wonderful investment bank or top tier private equity real estate firm. And I was too smart for those guys. So I left to start my own thing. I found this awesome deal and you should do it because I'm really smart and it's a great deal. That's the ego pitch, right? That is the, I'm really smart. I found a great deal. I'm going to cram this down your throats and you should do it because I know what I'm doing. And everyone else is doing it. So you might as well get in. Yeah. So the sales and marketing component is a complete afterthought, right? And then when you get pushback or you don't get a bunch of immediate yeses, or you don't have a system or a process that's documented in place of how this fundraise is going to go, you get really frustrated. And it could be the best deal in the world, right? I'm not saying that you're not able to find these attractive opportunities. But again, in real estate, unless you can raise capital around it, nobody cares. 
the biggest fallacy going in the marketplace today is that you'll raise on a good deal. Completely wrong. If you haven't set up a system and a platform to raise capital around your opportunities, you don't have a business. Brian, I've got to ask you, you've got almost a half a billion dollars in assets. Are you and your partner speaking with every one of your investors initially? This is how I did it the first time around. I thought, okay, we're going to do these value-add urban infill things. We're going to raise a fund. It's going to be wonderful. And if you have the time and the energy, you can ground and pound it that way. You do enough coffee meetings. I used to try to do five meetings a day and 10 phone calls every day. And if you do it, the law of numbers will work. You will raise some money that way, but it's incredibly inefficient and really pretty painful on your network when you're going to pound them that way. So to answer your question, I think the right way to do this is to get to the title of the presentation is to reverse engineer this whole thing. So you put your ego in the back seat, and instead of talking about you, you go with empathy. And empathy is all about understanding a solution set that you can provide to your investor base that solves a problem for them. Because I promise you, when you pick up the phone or you do coffee meetings and you're just talking about you and the deal, the first thing in their mind across the table from you is what's in it for me. And this entire presentation and what I'm talking about here goes along those lines, right? So one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was if you want money, ask for advice. And if you want advice, ask for money. So if you go to somebody and you pitch them this deal, they're going to say, well, hold on a second. Let me tell you about how commercial real estate really works. And so taking that into account, if you're really going to do this, if you're going to take a step off the cliff and try to do your first deal, well before you start even working on the deal side, put a list together of 100 people in your network. And this is where it can be a little hard because everybody has a different network. I married into a very affluent family. I have a social network and investor network of high net worth individuals and family offices and wealth management firms that work with those people. That's great for me, right? I have that privilege. It opens up a lot of doors for me. And it doesn't mean that I can go pitch institutional LPs. They have no idea who I am. I don't know how they work. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they spend time. I don't know what their problems are. I don't fully understand them. But I can empathize with my investor group because I hear the same problems when we have our family office quarterly meetings, the challenges we're dealing with, the solution sets that we're looking for, exactly how we'd want these investments packaged up, et cetera. So you have to be really honest with yourself. If you serve the military your whole career and all you know are enlisted service people, you need to take that into account. But whoever it is, you put the list together of 100 people that would actually take your phone call, take your meeting. They might potentially give you money one day. And you go from the most affluent to the least affluent. Now, this is not a judgment call on if these people are good people or bad people. You're just being honest with yourself and with them who has sophistication and affluence down to the 100 level. And when you go to them, you don't pitch the deal. You go to them very early and you say, hey, I'm thinking about looking for commercial real estate investments. I want to ask you for advice. Have you invested in this space before? Okay, great. Was it a good experience? Yes. Tell me exactly why it was a good experience, right? And this whole time, you're practicing why we're given two ears and one mouth. Because you're not saying anything, 
these people are talking about themselves and their experiences. So you're taking down all these notes, like what they loved about the investment, why it worked for them, how they met the sponsor. And then if they had a bad experience, you're taking down all those notes too, what they didn't like. There's no detail too small here, and you really want to get granular. If you were to be pitched, how would you want to be pitched? What would you want to be included in the email? Would you want it to be a phone call in person? Would you want video? How do you want your distributions? Do you want them monthly, quarterly? How often do you want reporting? How often would you want to hear from me? What would you want the investor relations portal to look like? What kind of return are you looking for? What kind of allocation could you honestly make towards one investment? How much do you think you could allocate annually? You're taking this all down. You're not pitching them anything. You're just asking for advice and you're taking all of these notes down very carefully. So if you do this, you can probably do it in 30 days, especially with Zoom. And again, you start with your most affluent, sophisticated contact all the way down to 100. Once you have an opportunity, like a deal that's live, you go to the same list, but you start at the bottom and you start pitching the deal and you say, hey, Susan, remember we had coffee two months ago? I talked about some of these things that I might be looking for. Well, I took into account all the feedback you gave me. And I think this is going to solve some of the problems that you have. You don't want to start at the top of the list because you don't want to waste your best prospects on probably what's going to be your worst pitch, right? So you're going to need a bunch of at-bats. You're going to get a bunch of pushbacks, some weird questions you're not going to have the answers to. But hopefully as you work your way up from the bottom, by the time you get to contact number 50, your pitch is pretty tight. You know what you're doing. And then hopefully you got some real conversions between number 25 to one. That is incredible advice. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to start your own syndication business or maybe you've tried, but you've been unable to get your first apartment deal? Well, it's hard. I know firsthand getting started in syndication is not easy. So have you considered working with a mentor? Imagine working one-on-one with a full-time syndicator who can help you do your first apartment building deal faster, help you avoid big mistakes, and scale your portfolio. If you feel like I'm speaking to you right now, then I want you to check out the mentoring program from my friend, Michael Blanc, who specializes in helping people get started with apartment buildings. I've known Michael for many years now, and he genuinely wants to help people become financially free. He developed a proven system and has helped hundreds of people do their first apartment building deal. I know he can help you as well. To find out more, text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. I know Michael's going to take care of you. Go ahead and text the word Joe, J-O-E, to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own apartment syndication business. Here's a problem you're probably not solving for right now. Have you ever had a tenant squat inside your rental and refuse to pay rent? Or are you worried about renting to a serial rent dodger? You've probably used a credit report for tenant screening before, but what if I told you you're missing out on info you need to properly verify prospective tenants? That's a problem, and the solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a summary of a prospective tenant's financial information using bank-verified transactional data you can't get from a credit check. This includes monthly income, payroll, past rent payments, and identity verification. Rentify's reports also highlight non-sufficient funds, overdraft history, and missed rent payments. 
It's all available at www.trustrentify.com. The best part is Rentify's financial reports instantly verify the full financial picture of a tenant within minutes, so you will no longer have to waste hours or even days verifying their information manually. And you can eliminate the risk of being duped by fraudulent documents and losing thousands of dollars getting unreliable tenants evicted. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first report package. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com. Put in the promo code FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first report package. I've got to ask you, if you don't have a deal, do you regularly communicate with your list of 100 people? Do you send a newsletter, an email, let them know that you're working on something? What's the topic of communication? Yeah, the best time to pitch somebody is when you're not pitching anything. You can't get too far down the rabbit hole. There's no such thing when you're talking about your ideal customer profile and your avatar. So once you're real with who your investor base is, based on your network and the solutions that you can provide to them, you should be reading the same things that they read every day, knowing what's topical to them. Like I know very distinctly, my investors read the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Economist, they watch CNBC, they watch MSNBC, they listen to Bloomberg Radio. These are all things that I consume every day. And I understand what the pressures they're under are, the pain points and what they're hearing and feeling. And I'm trying to provide content, be it daily on LinkedIn, weekly through video or monthly through webinars or our monthly newsletter that can help educate them. And that's the best thing that you can do, I think, is empower your investors by showing them early on when you're not pitching them a deal that you are a thought leader, an industry expert, and that you're empathetic towards their problems and that you can be a solution set and really a point of contact beyond just the deals themselves to establish that relationship. The best LPs that I have in terms of our relationship are the ones that call me that say, my daughter just graduated from college. She needs a job in XYZ industry. Do you know anybody? Could you make some introductions? Yes, I'd be happy to. Let me go above and beyond everything I can to help this person or, hey, I'm going through a divorce. We need to work on some things. Do you have a referral for me, somebody that I could talk to or a family office saying, I really want to allocate towards venture capital, healthcare tech, something I don't do at all. But are there best ideas? Are there managers you're like, how should I go about thinking through allocation? Those are the best conversations because then when you talk to them about a deal, it's just a continuation of this relationship you're building with them. And it's not so transactional that it's really, hey, you're going to give me a dollar. I'm going to give you a dollar 25 back. That's not the type of business I want. And those aren't the type of LPs I want to work with. Brian, do you have a CRM system that you recommend? Yeah, we use HubSpot. It's very good. It has all the bells and whistles, probably more than we need, but I highly recommend it. Yeah, again, this is incredible advice, especially in a world where literally everybody is going from the single syndication model to the fund model because it's easier for the operator, not really taking into account what's best for the investor. And I love your approach with empathy as well. Just incredible advice that a lot of us can use. That's really our pitch of direct deals, double-digit yield, and tax benefits. It came as a direct result of these thousands of conversations I've had over the last 10 plus years with, again, 
my investor profile. Those are the three things that they struggle with. I'm just giving them a solution set to their problems. This reminds me of a couple of movie scenes. And I've got to ask you this one question. If somebody calls you to pitch you something and their pitch is horrible, do you kind of rewrite it for them? Do you teach them how to do it properly? Like the boiler room kitchen scene? <laughs> yeah. I, I do. Because what you realize, and this is really an opportunity for sponsors out there, in my opinion, most people are so bad at marketing and they're so bad at sales and they're so bad at pitching that if you just take it seriously, you can be top decile overnight. If you just take it seriously and you put forth some effort, because most of it's garbage. I love people that cold call me because I think it's great. It's hard to do. And it's like, listen, man, you just talked for the first three minutes. You didn't ask me a single question and you used I words the entire time. This is not going to go the way you want it to go. There's just so many things that you can do and pick up on. And I love helping people refine it because if you embrace the capital raising engine and you embrace these accredited investors, the mass affluent, there's 13.5 million accredited investor households in America, less than 3% of exposure to alternatives. You're telling me with a straight face that you'd rather call on the same thousand institutional LPs as every other finance guy on Wall Street, as opposed to these 13 million plus individuals that you can actually help. That's a no brainer to me. I don't understand why the industry is going the other way. Yeah. Again, a great point. Jordan Belfort, somebody asked him to sell a pen. And I had this question when I was interviewing for an internship in college, the interviewer said, Hey, sell me this pen. And I'm like, Oh my God. Or actually it was a coffee mug. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, it's a dishwasher safe. It matches your outfit, all the nonsense. Right. And Jordan Belfort, somebody asked him to sell a pen to him. And he's like, wait a minute, tell me more. Why are you in the market for a pen? What's wrong with the pen that you have? He asked all the questions to show empathy find out what the client really wants versus blind selling. And Brian, one more question for you is what are your thoughts about those operators who have gotten so big and they've graduated and they have an entire team of investor relations people, or they outsource raising of funds? What's your advice to people like that? If you've gotten to that scale, I think honestly, you probably have a pretty transactional relationship with your LPs. So kudos to you. That's not the type of population that I want to service. Now, do I have time to call all 5,000 of my prospects? No, but I will say, and this is probably another episode that we can get into. COVID was a reality check for me in a lot of ways. One of them was the realization that even though I think I'm great, most LPs don't want to suffer through a two hour steak dinner with me just to hear about the deal. So we started putting together emails that had videotaped pitches of me pretending to be an investor with my acquisitions person pitching me the deal, going through the FAQs, pros and cons, the deal structure, the usual stuff, as well as a drone footage with the subtitled pitch underneath it. And I'll be honest, we provide so much information. We do it in such a way that it replicates a conversation. Most people just don't want to have that phone call with you. It's very binary, right? And that's the beautiful thing about what we've set the company up is these three things that we do, everybody knows those are the three things that we do. So when you get an opportunity in your inbox, it's really a function of, well, you know the three problems we're going to solve. Do you happen to like this particular one? And if it's yes, what's your allocation? It's much more efficient for them 
And for me, it might be harder on my ego and I have to eat some humble pie that people don't want to hear me talk for 45 minutes. But again, it's about servicing your investors ultimately. And that's clearly what they want. Incredible. Brian, thank you so much for being a two-time guest on our show today. I think there's a lot more that we could dive into. So if you're willing to come back, maybe we do a situation Saturday where we talk about a sticky situation and what you learned from it and how you got out of it, how you dealt with it. If we want to go through the mistakes Sunday, we might need a full hour, but yeah, I'd be happy to run through some of the challenges that I've worked through. I think that would be fun. And Brian, it, it's always eye-opening having this conversation with you. So again, I can't thank you enough. I've got to go back, listen to this episode again and take a lot more notes than I already did. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. Have a best ever day.